Welcome to the Insert Coin Theater Podcast, episode 26. Great to see you. Hope you are having a lovely, lovely week. It has been two weeks since the last episode, and I apologize. Life has been a little hectic lately, uh, as can be expected. But we are here. We're back. I'm very excited. I missed you all. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the Intellivision Amico, which you may not have heard of, as well as the Randy Pitchford hissy fit incident, and quite possibly some other things that we can touch on, but we'll focus on those two to start, and we'll see where we end up. With that said, let's start the show. Welcome back, and thank you for being here. I missed you guys. Two weeks is a long time without a show. Unfortunately, life got a little hectic. Uh, I was feeling pretty burnt out with Retrofizz kind of taking over a lot of time and adjusting to the new cycle that that kind of brought on was a little difficult. And so I took two weeks ago off to kind of recover mentally from that, and in that, uh, in that meanwhile... Uh, my grandfather passed away, and so I just was not in a mental headspace to really jump into uh, another episode of the podcast, but here we are. I'm back from a surprise trip to Ohio for his funeral, and uh, we are back at it, and uh, honestly, I'm glad to be... It's it's really hard to keep flip-flopping schedules and, and things like that. I'm a very schedule-driven person, so it's a little difficult for me to miss weeks because I get a little antsy sometimes. Like even missing the week that I took off to help my brain kind of regenerate a bit, I was sitting there like, I got to create something. I got to make a podcast. I got to do something. And so it gets very difficult for me specifically to focus. I'm very driven and I don't know. I just, I have a very specific uh, schedule I like to follow. Uh, much like my dog, Ash, I'm very schedule driven. So when it comes to specific things at specific times, I'm very impatient to do them. And I, I like to create uh, making stuff, talking to you guys, creating content, playing games with you all, that that sort of stuff is my passion and it's where my heart is. And so it's very hard for me to miss weeks of that or miss time of that. And I had to miss a couple of days this weekend. I mean, I'm not saying I lament it because it's very important to do family stuff and have family time and, and to regenerate your brain. But let's just say I'm back at it, chomping at the bit to get going, and I'm so happy to be back. And I missed you guys. Uh, it was nice to see family, uh, even if the circumstances were less than ideal. But I'm quite pleased to be back, and I hope you guys feel the same. I hope you guys are excited about some some more gaming news that has come out recently. Oh, boy. So let's let's jump in. So... The Intellivision Amico was announced a while ago, flew totally under my radar, didn't know it existed, and yeah, the Amico's a thing. Uh, it is a console coming out by Intellivision Entertainment, uh, rebooted by Tommy Tallarico, the musician and general game dude. He's a very talented guy, and he is heading up the, the company now, 
And it's really cool because Intellivision has focused this game console on a very specific price point, even though it's still on the drawing board and they're still working on it, but they've got some some rough drawings on it. They've produced a video showing off what it has, but they're doing remasters and remakes of classic Intellivision games. Each game is projected to be less than eight bucks on the console. Uh, it's supposed to be a very family-friendly console is the goal. Uh, it's going to have several built-in titles as well as 20 uh, more games in its online store at launch. And like I said, $8 or less, between like 3 and $8 for the games. And the console itself is supposed to be between $149 and $179, which is pretty crazy. The controllers are touchpads, but they also have touch screens on them as well, which is going to be really fascinating to see. I guess there's a couple of them, and I'm sure it, it works. I, I think it works via uh, Bluetooth or 2.4 gigahertz wireless, so you can have multiple controllers attached to it to play uh, couch co-op games. It won't have like on online play or anything like that, but it will have an online store where you can purchase things. And according to Tallarico, he said, we are creating a console that parents want to buy, not that they were asked to buy. Most every game being made for the home consoles these days is created with only the hardcore gamer in mind. We see a world where everyone is interested in playing at home and with friends, but this isn't currently possible because the barrier to entry is nearly impossible for a non-gamer due to the complexity of the controllers, intricacy of gameplay, expense of the hardware and software, and steep learning curve with an unbalanced form fa fun factor for the beginner. Our goal was to create a console that both gamers and non-gamers are able to have fun with and play together. The Intellivision Amico is our answer to this gaping hole we see within the current video game industry. And interestingly, I tend to agree the barrier to entry for modern gaming is very difficult, especially for certain people who are who haven't grown up with that in mind. So uh, it's very much that retro throwback kind of console that leaves you kind of with the nostalgia brought on by that. So it'll be really interesting because it'll have accelerometers in the controller, which enables for uh, all sorts of you know, uh, gameplay options, a la the Wii. Uh, it'll have uh, accelerometers, gyroscope, the usual stuff. And I guess it'll have, it'll, you'll be able to have up to eight people on the device. And you can use your smartphone to actually interface with the device and use it as a controller, which should be pretty interesting. I don't know how that's going to work. Apparently, they're reimagining the titles Astro Smash, Snafu, Tron, Deadly Discs, and Star Strike. And it'll have a version of Cloudy Mountain Crown of Kings, which is a rebranded tank on the advanced D the AD&D Cloudy Mountain game. And uh, interesting to see. Uh, it'll have, what else are they going to have? Shark, Shark, Baseball, Skiing, Math Fun, Utopia, Frog Bog, Boxing, Bowling, Triple Action, uh, Horse Racing, Auto Racing, B-17 Bomber. And those are all Intellivision titles. And then for Atari, they're going to have Pong, Asteroids, Centipede, Tempest, Adventure, Missile Command, Yars Revenge, Breakout, Lunar Lander, Night Driver, Skydiver, and Warlords from Imagic, Microsurgeon, Atlantis, Demon Attack, and Dracula. And then it'll have Minor 2049er, Super Burger Time, Bad Dudes, Caveman Ninja, Moon Patrol, R-Type, Ten Yard Fight, Load Runner, Spelunker, Kung Fu Master, Moto Race USA, Tropical Angel, Archon, and Toe Jam and Earl. And it has been confirmed that there will be a new Earthworm Jim title released specifically for this. Now, from my understanding, the goal is to only produce 
2D games. So they're not aiming for the whole 3D spiel, the whole 3D shtick with it. They're trying to avoid uh, doing the 3D deal. They're trying to keep it all 2D and classic and retro and very accessible and simple. They said that every title on the console will be teen-friendly, so there will be no teen, mature, or adults-only rated titles. There will be no in-app purchases or DLC of any kind, and they're really aiming at E or E10 Plus for everything. So it's very, very interesting. I I don't know what to think. I, on one hand, I'm all about a new console catering to like retro and classic style gaming, but on the other hand... Is this something the market wants? Is this something that's needed? Like wh when we come to modern gaming, like I don't find the controllers to be that complex. I feel like saying that there's a barrier to entry with controller complexity is a little much. I mean, most games use a joystick, if not two, the four face buttons, and then triggers and bumpers aren't in every game. So I don't know. If you're playing a side scroller, usually you won't use anything but the face buttons and a, one of the one of the joysticks. Uh, thinking Super Meat Boy type thing. So I don't know if there's a mark to be hit here. I'm not one to say that it's a bad idea. Like I said, I'm kind of excited for it because I'm probably going to buy in. I think it's a very interesting concept. I just don't foresee it doing super duper well because of saying that there's complexity in the controls and then offering touchscreens, I feel like touchscreens are more complex than a controller because you have hard buttons and a touchscreen, you tend to miss buttons because you're trying to watch the screen while hitting non-tactile buttons, which can cause a lot of issues. So I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling kind of confused on the market they're trying to hit in this. It'll have USB connectors. It's going to have HDMI. And I feel like Yes, those are simple connectors, but the amount of features it's offering kind of is counterintuitive to the simplicity they're aiming for. I don't know. I, I feel like not offering like a game cartridge system or something like that and doing it online is even more complex. Like, what's simpler than going to a store, picking up a physical cartridge, popping it into your machine, and playing it there? Having an online store can really cause confusion for people. Uh, that. Again, they're not that complex as it is, so I find I find Nintendo's store to be unreasonably easy. So I don't know how they plan to outdo Nintendo in that regard. Nintendo is very much a simple system, especially considering like you can use the uh, Joy-Cons individually for most games, and those are like four or five buttons. It's really hard to get more simple than that. So I just don't know who this is aimed at specifically. Is this aimed at old people? Is this aimed at small children? Is it that those two? I just don't find that anybody who is a millennial parent or a Gen Zer ever wanting this. Maybe a baby boomer because they're still like, "What are video games? Aren't those for children?" type thing. But I don't know. I just. I'm not entirely sure. Like there, there's a whole sect of baby boomers who refuse to understand technology and try. And yeah, I mean that exists in the millennial generation, generation and Gen Z. But when you look at those, like we are m much more tech savvy because we grew up with that stuff. So the aimed goal is not going to catch the millennial or Gen Z market very well. And I really don't foresee this selling well to them. And right now, I mean, the average gamer is 34, I think, is what it said. Hold on a second. Let me see if that's what it says. Yeah. So the average 
the average age of a gamer today is 34 years old, and the market reflects that with a broad array of games for people of all ages, uh, the, is uh, said by the ESRB. Uh, and I don't know, like 34 years old is pretty tech-savvy age. I'm, I'm four years out from that. So I find that to be a little strange that that's what they're targeting. I don't know. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing uh, a memo or missing something here, but I feel like I feel like this is really an interesting move, and it's going to be a very much a wait and see. Like I said, I'm going to buy in for the nostalgia just because I I want to see these recreations of classics and what their their re envisioned takes are and how this console performs and possibly what uh, mods could be done to it because I'm a bit of a tinkerer. But I don't foresee your average 34 and under person, your 18 to 37 range or whatever it is right now for the average, the median age of gamers, that, that age range. I don't foresee them jumping on this for 150 bucks. I mean, it, the price is right. That's for sure. That's not a bad price. And at eight bucks or less a game, that too is a pretty dang good value. So looking at games like Earthworm Jim and Toe Jam and Earl and such, I think that's great. I think that'll do pretty pretty dang well, at least for what consoles they sell. But 150 bucks still isn't cheap. And I think people are going to... So this is set to release in 2020. Okay, so their release that they gave was, was 2020. Uh, they said October 10th, which is very oddly specific. Here's the problem. They're going to be going up towards where the new next generation consoles come out. They're going to be eaten alive by those. The PS5 and the next Xbox are going to just devour it. And I think, I think their timing is just going to be bad, and I really have a hunch that they're going to not do super well because of that. And I'm really not trying to poo-poo it because, like I said, this sort of thing, the console looks pretty dope. And I would love to get my hands on it. But I just feel like saying that... I don't know if I agree with, with Talarico here. He says that the, the complexity of controllers and the intricacy of gameplay are uh, in the expense of hardware and software uh, with a steep learning curve with an unbalanced fun factor for beginners uh, is a barrier to entry. And if I'm being real, if you've played Angry Birds, if you've played uh, Candy Crush, like those games get... They're simple, but they're no more complex than some of the the AAA titles you buy. I mean, the I don't know. I don't I don't find the Assassin's Creed games inaccessibly difficult. I mean, they've sold millions of copies, millions and millions. I feel like I feel like saying that it's aimed at hardcore gamers is a bit of a misnomer because I feel like we've really had a push lately to include the more casual gamers, which is why games like Assassin's Creed are much more accessible and so popular. Games like Far Cry 5, games that have been around like the Call of Duty games, they're simple in terms of their appeal, in terms of what they offer. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, and maybe I just don't know that older market, which is quite possible. I just don't know. I mean, it's something that my mom might like, and I'm not calling my mom old or anything, but she's not a gamer. But then again, I just don't see my mom sitting down and playing games on a console. So 
it, it's it, it, her her priorities lie elsewhere and her interests lie elsewhere and i find that to be true for most people beyond the age of in the baby boomer generations and beyond and i just i find that their interests don't really lie in gaming and it's an interesting market to target i just don't think it's going to fly i think it's too little too late maybe 10 five, 10 years ago this could have done really well but october 10th 2020 is still over a year away and i'm i'm i don't know i'm worried i, I feel like in television may have made a mistake there i think i think it's just not I hate to say that because I, I think it's a stellar idea. I just think it's too little too late, honestly. I just, I don't know, though. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh. Sorry, I had to get a drink. Oh, boy. That's good water. That's good water. Uh, well, that is the Intellivision Amico, and that's going to come out October 10th, supposedly. Uh, at a 149 to 179 price point. I'm hoping to get my hands on one so I can test it out and try it and play it because I think it would be fun to play. I just, I don't know. I just, there's so many questions with no answers and, oh boy. I just don't know how you're going to have a full color touchscreen on each controller, uh, on two controllers that come with it and build a console for less uh, less than 150 MSRP. I just don't. I just don't know how that's going to be, unless you're using really old hardware under the hood or Raspberry Pis or something. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see. I can't wait to see what the hardware looks like. And with that said, we're going to go ahead and take a short break and go ahead and uh, have a word from our sponsors. So thank you very much. We're going to talk about Randy Pitchford after this and Gearbox Software. Oh boy. I'm so excited about that. We'll be right back. And we're back. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for listening to our wonderful sponsors. And if you're watching on RetroFizz or a video version of this podcast in some form or fashion, thank you for sticking around. I appreciate it greatly. All right. Let's jump into the next topic. This one's a doozy. So head of Gearbox Software, Randy Pitchford. I am... Not unusual in the fact that I think he's a bit of a whiny, whiny boy. <laughs> oh, boy. So in the run-up to uh, Gear- Gearbox's release of Borderlands 3, Randy Pitchford has gone full Pitchford. And this is not unusual for him, but in this case, we've seen some uh, some weirdness here. So Game Informer made a, an article... And they said, despite Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford's comment about no microtransactions in Borderlands 3 during today's live stream, we've been told cosmetic items are still purchasable. So what happened is during the press conference, during the uh, reveal gameplay event, Randy Pitchford said there would be no microtransactions at all in Borderlands 3. We come to find out very quickly that you'll still be able to purchase cosmetic items in-game, as microtransactions, <laughs> you you can purchase individual skins, and those individual skins you purchase individually. They're not like packs. They're not in like loot boxes or anything, which is still microtransactions. So this article went up, and Randy Pitchford threw a hissy fit. 
Uh, we'll say that much. So Andy McNamara from Game Informer, uh, he, he clapped about it. And, and he, he literally was like, I can't believe what, what they're saying. And they're, uh, um, they're making up lies about me and they're trying to drag me and all this stuff. And Andy McNamara from GI said, in my opinion, you can't say no microtransactions when there's microtransactions and then be angry we made a tweet focusing on that angle. Apologies you don't like the despite Duval Magic, which is uh, Randy Pitchford's tweet Twitter name. It clarifies what we feel is a misleading comment, which the story lays out clearly. Yes, cosmetics have no influence on gameplay, but they are indeed microtransactions. Many free-to-play games use that as their only monetization. I feel the comments about my team and our outlet are uncalled for, and I back our reporting in this case. So the post that he made, so Randy Pitchford post, posted a comment at the top of, uh, at, or on this Game Informer tweet about their article. And he said, and I will quote, Come on, guys. Shitty clickbait headline. Literally seconds before I said that, I made it very clear we're going to do more cosmetic stuff like we did in Borderlands 2. You know I was talking about premium currency and loot boxes kind of stuff not being in our game. Why you guys would F me, and I'm censoring the F word there, F me on this is beyond me. Thanks a lot. So. <laughs> so then that was Andy. Andy made that response to him about, uh, you know, saying, in my opinion, you can't say no microtransactions when there's microtransactions because it is what he said in the live stream. If you go back and watch it, Randy said no microtransactions to tumultuous applause. So Randy, rep this, this goes on. So stick with me. It's a ride. So Randy replies to Andy, uh, Andy, Randy Pitchford replies to Andy McNamara from GI and says, I cannot believe that your response here is to double down on an implication made in the tweet that I was being misleading. Watch the stream for yourself. I was doing the opposite of being misleading. This was the most transparent preview event I have ever heard of. <laughs> That's funny in its own right. Being he's being very hyperbolic there and being uh very he's exaggerating a lot because transparency from Randy Pitchford is never really a thing. But we'll go on. Andy replied. Clear would be a statement like, quote, we have microtransactions, but they are cosmetic and don't affect gameplay, end quote. That's my opinion. Calling us names doesn't seem constructive. I'm sorry, we disagree. Which Pitchford replied, I said exactly that, but in reverse. I literally said we are doing campaign DLC and cosmetics, but not free to play. Then, quote, no microtransactions, end quote, was obviously additive to the free to play comment. The record of prior Borderlands games are all part of the context. You know this. And then he made another post. He continued. Randy Pitchford made another post separate of that conversation and said, I'm just so hurt right now, Andy. I've swallowed so much shit for so many years of folks on your side of this industry profiting off of making me out as if I'm some kind of profit-only gamer-exploiting liar. That right there is what sent me over the edge. Okay, so regardless of the context of what Randy said, which was very clearly no microtransactions, even though there are microtransactions in said game. He was, he was, he did not clarify it very well, if at all. But that said, his reply there was very much a Gamergate dog whistle. And so here is, here is why. 
Gamergate uses the the front end of game journalists all being corrupt and awful and hating games and being purchased, which is all lies. Stick with me here. If you hate game journalists for, for no other reason than them being bought, you do not do research and you need to really dig into it without looking at Gamergate-centric sites. With that said, Gamergate itself delves into a, a hole of really dangerous things. Uh, imagine 4chan, but focused on the hatred of game journalists and people in gaming in general. So, um, and let me let me qualify that with, uh, I, I was very distinctly involved with the Gamergate movement at first. Um, I am 100% ashamed of it, but I do own it, and it is a disgusting, vile thing. Being in there, I saw the evolution of it from... Uh, the rallying of game publications being corrupt and taking money from uh, from game companies while giving 10 out of 10s to those game companies and digging up dirt on that to uh, a targeted harassment campaign against people who definitely didn't deserve it. Women, trans people... Uh, gay people, black people, just just any minority in the industry that they really wanted to focus on and try to ruin uh, their careers, uh, which indeed, uh, funnily enough, created careers for several people who were uh, those targeted, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, people like, uh, let's throw the names out there, Zoe Quinn. Um, her career has been nothing but better since uh, that all went down. Um, Brianna Wu, her career has been nothing but better since that all went down. Um, and, uh, the, the others that were focused on that, um, uh, the uh, Anita Sarkeesian was another that was heavily targeted and she's been doing great as well. So, uh, interestingly enough, uh, it, it did not do a whole lot except for really be a scary and disgusting time to be involved in an event, in an event like that. So that said, I own that I was involved. I never participated in any targeted harassment, but because I was involved indirectly, that really made me scummy, and I have since learned the error of those ways, and I have since made recompense. Uh, and I know that I'm qualifying a lot with that, but I wanted to really give a background on why I'm familiar with this and why I know what Gamergate is, because I was involved with it. I was part, and... Um, I was pretty deep down the rabbit hole. So with that said, it's very important for you to understand that that Gamergate is a group of people now that have fragmented and splintered, but still will rally around people who say things like folks on your side of the industry. This is not an us versus them. Game journalists are gamers. They play games just like you and I. They might be critics, they may be news deliverers, they may write stories about them, but they are not enemies. This is the same kind of stuff that is used in our modern media where people use fake news, fake news, all mainstream media is fake news. It's frustrating. It's the same rhetoric. And using that rhetoric to dog whistle to people to pile on a game publication, especially Game Informer. Game Informer is actually one of the good ones. It's one of the few that has really delivered news that I like. And I'm not, I'm not knocking like Kotaku. Like they're not great. They have a long way to go to really be where they should. But they have some really good writers there. Uh, and uh, also, um, 
uh, IGN, stuff like that. Like they're not terrible. They're not great, but they, they do deliver news and they do it, you know, they do it in a timely manner. And that's important. Like you have to have those news outlets because word of mouth does not spread the news quickly enough. And that is what it is. With that said, when he says something like folks on your side of the industry is saying it's an us versus them. It's a we're Gearbox. I'm Gearbox's CEO. Back me up here, guys, because he then goes on to say as if I'm some kind of profit only gamer exploiting liar. And playing the victim here is not going to do you much there, Randy. The problem that he runs into is saying that gamer exploiting and making me out to be is playing the victim and playing that card. So saying, folks on your side, you're the enemy. I am the innocent victim here. Please, gamers, back me up. Because saying I'm some kind of profit-only gamer exploiting liar is definitely one of those, ah, look at me. It's, it's, it's a dog whistle. It's trying to get people to rally to his aid and to dogpile on Andy McNamara here and GI. Uh I'm not saying that people aren't deserving of of a little bit of scrutiny. I'm not saying that these these journalistic outlets are not worthy of scrutiny or uh, criticism. They certainly are, but I mean, so are games. So are game developers. Uh, so is Randy Pitchford. He is not above criticism. And playing a victim here, acting as if the media is vilifying him for literally quoting him in context and giving uh, actual evidence and <laughs> quotes like I don't get it I don't get his side of this and he's really trying to rally the troops in my opinion from my point of view to really back him up and right now the only people that are truly like desperately against game journalists are really the hard the remaining Gamergate people I have come to grips with, yes, there are bad journalists just as there are good journalists. That's life. There are good gamers and there are bad gamers. There are good authors and there are bad authors. There are good podcasters and bad podcasters. I'm one. Um, that said, I'm just at a loss here. There's really only one group that's going to rally to that kind of a call that your side of the industry call, the us versus them, who else is against journalism as a whole? Gamergate. So that's 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 ultimately the, the rabbit hole he is jumping down in this, and it's very frustrating to me to see because Randy Pitchford has not done this just once. So Jason, Jason Schreier, who uh, is a news editor at Kotaku, posted back in 2016... Uh, in September 29th, to be exact, that Battleborn is going free to play soon with a source uh, on Kotaku. Okay, that same day, Randy Pitchford wrote a tweet that said, "I was just told about a reckless story about Battleborn going free to play. That is false. There are no plans to convert Battleborn free to play." Calling the story reckless is again painting news media as a bad thing. <laughs> Come a year later. And uh, uh, Battleborn goes free to play. June 6th, 2017, there was an article. Battleborn goes free to play. Go figure. No plans to go free to play. Hmm. Hmm. This song and dance is not unusual for Andy Pitchford. And I'm not knocking on the guy too terribly hard. I just think that he is extremely whiny. And he plays himself to be a victim. Every time that any press is brought up negatively about him or Gearbox. And 
I don't know. This was the same guy that, uh, if I remember correctly, got into hot water about leaving uh, a USB stick somewhere. Let me see. I want to see if I can remember this correctly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so Randy Pitchford left a USB stick of porn and sensitive uh, company documents at Medieval Times. Uh, let me make sure that that's still correct. But he uh, he went on uh, the Ars Technica podcast, or he went they he went on a podcast. Oh, it was uh, let's see, uh. What was it? He went on a podcast and my gosh, man, it was pretty crazy where he, he actually admitted to it. And <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it's a whole mess. Like he left and I guess the, the pornography on the USB stick was of a sensitive nature as well. And that was earlier this year. Was that this year? Yeah, that was in January. So this isn't the only time that Randy Pitchford has been uh, painted in a negative light for doing stupid things or saying stupid things. And this, this is just another, uh, another nail in that coffin. I think in my opinion, gearbox needs to drop the guy. Just my two cents. I think, uh, I think Pitchford is a liability. I think he is reactionary and a whiner. And I'm not a big fan of that personally. So, from where I sit, Randy Pitchford, you need to chill out, bro. The dude needs to learn to shut his mouth, I think, is the problem. And I know I'm being a little harsh here, but honestly, the level of whining and dog whistling and... Oops, sorry about that noise. That was really loud. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. But the amount of whining and dog whistling and complaining that he does is so bad for PR. And I know a lot of people who are like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to invest in something that's going to support this guy. Cause the dude took a $12 million bonus allegedly. So I don't know, man. I just feel like, I just feel like he's, he's a liability and they need to either shut him up or shut him down. But that's my two cents. I know that only means so very much, but uh, I figured I'd give my uh, my point of view there while you guys kind of form your own opinion based on the news I have presented. Whew. Well, that was exciting. <laughs> and with that said, I think that we will go to another sponsored break before we wrap up. So we will be right back. Thank you for your patience. Enjoy this word from our ever so lovely sponsors. Be right back. And welcome back. Thank you very much for your patience. And thank you for listening to our ever so crispy, tasty, tasty sponsors. All right. This has been an episode of the Insert Coin Theater podcast. It's produced by me, Tim. But it's more than just this podcast, of course. It's also live streams three days a week. Mondays, or not Mondays, Mondays. Today's Monday. Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Saturdays and Sundays from 10 a.m. Eastern Time over on Mixer.com slash InsertCoinTheater. You can also find me on Twitch, uh, Facebook, YouTube Gaming, all of that stuff. Same deal, Insert Coin Theater. And of course, you can join the vibrant and inclusive community over on Discord at Discord.gg slash ICT. And if you'd like to help me do this as a full-time gig, please consider pledging on the ICT Patreon at Patreon.com slash ICT. And feel free to subscribe over on Mixer.com slash Theater. 
I'd like to give a huge thanks to Andy B, our Arcade Master level supporter, and our three other Patreon supporters for helping keep this podcast alive and kicking. And if you can't support monetarily, please consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. Positive reviews help this show up higher up on lists and will help the show grow. If you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or you just want to connect, feel free to visit me on Twitter, twitter.com slash insertcointim. And I'm also on Mixer, Twitch, Facebook, and Instagram at insertcointheater. Discord DMs are also always open, insertcointheater, hashtag 6969. And the intro, as always, is done by the ever-so-lovely Ben Burns. Love your face, dude. Thank you so much. Check him out at abstractionmusic.com. That's abstractionmusic.com. I'm so very grateful that you guys have spent this time with me, and I will see you all next week. I promise I will do everything in my power not to take two more weeks in a row off, but sometimes life gets in the way. That said, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.